Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Habakkuk in chapter number 2. We're walking through this minor prophet book of Habakkuk. And as we've already been observing, that the book of Habakkuk is very practical for the times that we live in. That we start off by understanding the prophet is praying for his nation. And as he described the things going on of his nation, it's just like if we're looking in our own newspapers where violence is going about and nobody's doing anything to stop it. Sin is going up. Striving attention is occurring. The law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. It seems like there's more wicked around us than the righteous. And so the wicked are getting their way. That's what Habakkuk said. But it's almost like listening to what is happening here. And so the prophet Habakkuk prayed. Just like any good believer should do. And as he prayed, he was surprised because God answered him. And God said, guess what I'm going to do concerning your prayer request? I'm going to do something so amazing that if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And he said, ye among the heathen. I'm sending the Babylonian empire to destroy your nation, to destroy the temple, to take your people into captivity. And that's how I'm going to solve your problem. Well, that wasn't quite the answer that we're looking for. By the way, as a reminder, that God doesn't have to answer the prayers the way that we think he should answer. And that God is smart enough to know what happens. And that we should not be discouraged When God chooses to answer things in a different way, we must reply by faith, acknowledging he knows what he's doing. And so that's what the prophet Habakkuk had to do. He said, I don't understand all this is happening. I don't understand why this is going to work, but I trust who you are. I trust who you are. And he began to recall some of the names of God in chapter 1 and verse 12. Then last week, as we saw that after God had said who he was going to send, and and Habakkuk had replied, that he prepared for God to speak to him again. And with that preparation, he was expecting God to correct his life and show him where he needed to change. And the statement that God had said is where we spent a lot of time last week. The just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. By his faith. And so with that, we'll pick this up in mid-story. And the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 2. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. And notice with me in verse number 4. The book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, and verse number 4. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. And in verse number 4, the Bible says this. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgressed by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home, who enlarged his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people." 
Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him, saying, Woe unto him that increaseth that which is not his. How long unto him that ladeth himself with thick clay? Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and shall be for booties or unto them because thou hast spoiled many nations all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land and of the city and of them that dwell therein woe unto him that coveteth evil covetous to his house that he may set his nest on high that he may be delivered from the power of evil. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk chapter number 2? The book of Habakkuk chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse 6. Notice in verse 6 where it says, um, Woe to him that increases that which is not his. And notice that last phrase there, and with that we're going to title this uh, Sunday school message here, that is not yours. That's not yours. Now, as God is sending the Babylonians, he is not sending the Babylonians with a free pass. He is telling Habakkuk that I'm going to send the Babylonians, and yes, they're worse than what you are, but I'm going to deal with the Babylonians afterwards. And we understand there's a principle found in the Bible that whenever God uses a rod to chasten his people, basically take that switch and go take someone outside the woodshed, God breaks that rod. And so here, even though God is also admitting that the Babylonians are worse than what you are, I'm using them for a purpose. But afterwards, I'm going to break that rod. Now, this is going to be some encouragement, but here we could learn some principles that God is giving with the Babylonians. Now we start in verse number 4, where it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now last week we took the last phrase, and we get the encouragement that the just shall live by his faith. But what God is doing is doing a comparison. Now God's people, the just, the righteous, should live by his faith. But the opposite of faith is not disbelief. The opposite of faith is pride. Because you are either trusting in God or you're trusting in something else. And so the Babylonians here are being regarded as the opposite of trusting God. They are the epitome of pride, of trusting themselves, depending upon themselves. And so what God does in this passage is in the rest of chapter 2, he lists five woes. The word woe carries a, a pronunciation of judgment. It carries the idea of cursed, calamity, destruction. Woe unto them! And in here, he gives five curses, five reasons why the Babylonians are going to be destroyed. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to take time to hit each of these curses. Today, of course, we're going to hit, Woe unto him that increaseth not what is not his. We're going to talk more about that in a second. The Bible talks about in verse number 9, Woe unto him that coveteth an evil uh, covetous to his house in verse number 12 woe unto him that buildeth a town with blood 
as it goes on in verse number 15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor to drink and putteth thy bottle to him. And it goes on and pronounces these five woes. These five curses, these five things that God charges the Babylonians with and says, because of these five woes, I'm going to destroy the Babylonian nation. And by the way, these things are repeated in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Isaiah, and in the other things here. These idea, the charges against the Babylonians. And we're going to cover this uh, in this series in the next couple lessons. But here we hit this first woe here. Woe unto him. Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Now, this is dealing with the idea of Babylon. And of course, the Babylonian Empire is led by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon for 63 years. That's a long reign. And Babylon was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. The city of Babylon had a circumference of 60 miles, meaning that if you walked outside of the gates of Babylon and you walked all the way around it, to walk all the way around the city of Babylon would be 60 miles. This is a massive city. This is a city that had built this city and in an in in um, amazing way through the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River, again, is one of the most important rivers of the ancient world. It was the, what they call the cradle of civilization. And this was a massive river. And they built this city over the massive river. And they would have different ways to cross the river inside of the city. And they would have uh, special gates that would uh, allow the water to flow. But wouldn't allow anybody to sneak through the river. They were so sophisticated. They even had a tunnel underneath the river. This was a massive city where the gates themselves. Or the, the walls themselves stood 60 feet high. And were four hundred feet wide. They were so wide you could take four four horse drawn carriage or uh, chariots, that's sixteen horses, and ride them sixteen abreast around the perimeter on the top of the wall. Every hundred feet they would have a guard tower that would look over and make sure that no one else was coming and make sure that all of the um, the uh, the walls were protected from all angles. Inside of this, Nebuchadnezzar, out of his, um, was a great engineer and a great dreamer. And in it, he had built a palace. His palace covered six square miles. How would you like to have a house that was six square miles? Think you might get lost in there, maybe? Six square miles. And now in the palace, because he had a Persian wife and she had missed uh, the plants of Persia, of what we would call modern Iran, that he built, and some people believe it was on top of the Tower of Babel. You know, the Tower of Babel was never destroyed in Genesis chapter number 11 and 12, or 10 and 11. But it was there at Babylon, and it was just stopped building. They said that Nebuchadnezzar had taken the remains of the Tower of Babel, and he had built what was called the Hanging Gardens. And it was a beautiful gardens that was built up towards the sky on different levels. So that way, in the midst of this desert, Iraq, 
There was this green spot well watered with waterfalls in the midst of a palace with plants all over. It was considered one of the great wonders, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. Imagine this man who's built this wonderful city under his direction. Under his direction, it has built into from a city to an empire. And they've been conquering everything. But his thing is that he was not satisfied. And he wanted to take things that was not his. And he just wanted more. He just wanted more. He built this kingdom by thievery, taking things that was not his. Of course, we have one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not steal. This is a commandment of God. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar, his old life, is the opposite of that commandment. And it is by his pride. You see, this is where it comes in as it's putting it in context. That for us, the just shall live by faith. You know what that means? We can trust God to supply for us. We can trust God to take care of us. But for someone who is not trusting God and believing in themselves, they feel like they have to do whatever it takes to take care of themselves or take care of their wants. And they'll take it by force if they have to, to get take what they want. This is what we have here, is that the Babylonians have been pronounced, they're going to destroy you. And Habakkuk says, they're worse than us. And God says, I know. Let me tell you about them. And this is one of the charges he gives. Woe unto them. They're going to be cursed because of this. They thought they could build a kingdom by stealing. And God said, that's not yours. God said he was going to ju judge their dark ways and he did. So with that backdrop here, let me explain some things from this passage that God is teaching us about this principle that that's not yours, about them stealing and thievering. The first thing I want to show you is the lust. The lust. <laughs> As God continues here, he begins to talk about these people. Again, in verse number four, he said their problem is pride. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. That's pride. The soul that is lifted up, that's pride. And it's not upright in him. You, we're either going to live our life by force or we're going to live our life by faith. We're going to live our life trusting God and trusting he is going to provide for us. Or we feel like it's up to us and we have to provide for ourselves in any way possible. Verse number five, it steps in a little bit more. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine. He is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlarge his desire as hell and his death, and cannot be satisfied, but is gathered unto him all nations, and heapeth unto all of his people. Here we start off with this idea of pride. And pride tells us that we don't need God, that we could direct our own lives. That we could do as we please. We don't need God to take care of us. We don't need God to tell us what to do. But we have to be careful with that because we have an enemy inside of us. We all have an old nature. And that old nature is lusting. Now, don't get confused with that idea of lust. That it's only dealing with sexual things. Lusting carries the idea that anything that is before your eyes. That you desire to have that is not yours. 
That's lusting. So some guy can look at this big old 4x4 Ford 350 truck, black dualies, look at that and go, oh yeah. But they're lusting. They're desiring something that's not for them to have and it's before their eyes and they look at it and they dream about it. I want that. We all have that enemy inside. We all have that thing that desires something and that craves for something. We, as we read God's description of this wickedness of the Babylonians, we're reminded of the men in their degenerate state which lust with their evil hearts and they have no limits on what they will degenerate to to satisfy that lust. Even people who call themselves intelligent will go to any lengths to deny that God is God. For example, we don't want to get to a creation seminar, but it's amazing how many scientists will be free to admit that the reason why we jumped on evolution is not because it's true or scientific. It's because we don't want God to tell us what to do. God interferes with our mores. So we have to do something to divorce God out. I heard of a preacher talking to a scientist in a university once, and this scientist was convinced that we had evolved from monkeys. And, um, and he said, you know, well, where did the where did the tailless monkeys come from? Well, the monkey was climbing in a tree and he lost his tail. And because he lost his tail, the next uh, uh, generation didn't have a tail. And the preacher said, so I have a friend of mine who lost a finger in an accident. If he has kids, is he going to miss a finger? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But that's what the, the, the uh, scientist was trying to say. Because the opposite is that I have to recognize that there's a creator. And I can't have a creator. And so... Because of the lust inside of us, now this is important to understand, our pride gets in the way. And because God gets in the way with what we want, our pride somehow has to remove God from the picture so we can be justified to get what we want. Does that make sense? So this lust inside of us is a dangerous thing. And remember, this word lust doesn't just carry the idea of sexual things. It carries the idea that it's see, something we see that we desire that's not for ours to have. And we can look at things. It doesn't have to be physical. I want to move there. That's the desire of my heart. And it may not be God's will. But that's what I want. And I don't care what God says. I want that. I don't know how many people in the last 20 years. Preacher. I believe God wants us to move. Okay. Why do you believe that? Well I just think you would be better off there. Well what does the Bible say? I don't know what the Bible says. I just know this is what we're supposed to do. Okay. You know what they've done? They've divorced God from their decision making. They didn't ask God about anything here. They just said, I wanted this, and I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I just know this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. It could be from a station in life. It could be an idea of a principle. It could be the idea of a promotion, whatever it is. But we get to the idea that if it's something that we want... We don't include God in the conversation. And I'm not talking about evil people. I'm talking about us. That if there's something that we want. And we really want it. Oftentimes we won't even consult God. Or ask God about it. We'll take it upon ourselves to get it for ourselves. 
By the way, that's one of the problems with American Christianity is most of the time we can get it for ourselves. God, I need a brand new fan at, at home. I mean, it's warm in here and I could really use a fan. And so we don't wait for God to provide it. We just go to Walmart and go get it. And the problem is, is that we have the ability to get it. But you continue to feed that. Soon you'll run into something that you don't have the ability to get. And now you'll try to squirm, connive, convince, deceive, whatever it is to get what you want. Does it make sense? That's the problem. We all have this lust inside of us. Now, once we recognize this, there's another thing that we understand. Not only the lust, but the lore. The lore. Now, because we have the enemy in the inside of us that refuses to yield to God, Satan places things before us and says, come and get it. Come and get it. We're coming back to Habakkuk in just a second. But notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of James, towards the end of the Bible. And let me show you what the Bible says concerning this. The book of James. The book of James chapter 4. Now, if you're looking for it, it's at the very end of the Bible. We have the book of Revelation, the book of Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, James. If you hit Hebrews, then it's the other direction. So just helping you find it. Everyone should be able to name the books of the Bible backwards. (coughs) Good. The book of James and chapter number 4. The book of James chapter 4, and notice with me in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? So here's a good question. Where do the struggles, the fights that among yourselves, where does it come from? Come they not from hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? The lust of man's desire, uh, the lust of man's heart desires that which is not his. And Satan lures him to take that which God Never intended him to have. So I desire a position. I desire for people to be known. And it may not what God wants you to have. But because you desire that position. You're going to claw and fight and connive. And trip people and help them to fail. So that way you can be where you think you should be at. People do that. We do that. We get to the place where we want something there. And we're willing to trample people to get to where we want. That's what Satan does. He lowers that. He knows what we want in our hearts. He knows what our inner man craves. And he'll dangle it. Here you go. What are you going to do to get it? And watch us as we fight our way to get it. It could be something as simple as going out to eat. Boy, if there is a, a, a thing that Americans fight with, it's going out to eat. And so there's something about it that, that you crave it. I mean, my wife made me the man I am today. She makes good food. But you know, sometimes you get a craving for a greasy hamburger that my wife makes something better, but why am I craving it? There's something about it. And so you start craving it long enough and often enough. And you look at your finances and say, well, you know, I really can't afford it. Oh, but man, it sounds so good. And you'll put stuff aside. You'll take from something that maybe you were saving for or something to go get that cheesy cheeseburger. That's a simple thing. But then it gets bigger. 
It could be something you desire. It could be a recognition. It could be a, a thing, a station, an idea, a principle. And Satan dangles it in front of you. And if he keeps it in front of you and you keep looking at it instead of looking at God, you'll find yourself pushing things aside, stealing from other things, hurting other people to get what you want. That's exactly what the Babylonians did. With that principle in mind, turn back with me to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2. Notice with me again in verse 5. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. We've already talked about this pride. Neither keepeth at home. So instead of staying at Babylon, who enlarged his desire as hell and as his death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Now think of Babylon. Babylon, 60 miles on the perimeter. He has a palace, six square miles. He has one of the wonders of the ancient world in his palace. The city, the walls of Babylon, was guaranteed to keep out all invaders. They were so big they could hold out from a siege for many years. And they had a marvelous army. They had controlled so much and had so much influence over the ancient world. But Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't want to be satisfied with what, what, what I have. I want them all. And so the first thing they did was they conquered the remnants of the Assyrian Empire. And finally in 615 BC, the Egyptians... <laughs> uh, this is where... Um, um, Josiah died trying to hold back the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians were going to uh, join up with the Babylonians to defeat the last remnants of the Assyrian Empire. And they're going to wipe them out. But when the Egyptians arrived on scene and they looked at the Assyrians, then they looked at the Babylonians and they said, Uh-oh, they're the threat. And they joined with the people they were going to fight with to try to fight against the Babylonians. And the Babylonians cleaned house and defeated them all. Nineveh, which was prophesied to be destroyed, was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And they destroyed the capital city of Assyria. And they destroyed it so completely that later on, when Napoleon walked his troops over it, they walked over the ruins of Nineveh and didn't even realize it was there. They had wiped it out. And by the way, that's what the Bible had said was going to happen in the book of Nahum. They destroyed it so completely. They controlled the ancient world. And after defeating the Egyptians. And the Egyptians got beat so soundly. That they went back to Egypt. And just kind of cried. But yet they tried to tell all the rest of the world. Yeah we got your back. You go ahead and rebel against uh, uh, Babylon. We got your back. As they're taking steps back. This is what fooled the, the kingdom of um, <coughs> uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. That you would have the other kingdoms. Uh, Josiah's kids who would stand up. Uh, Jehoiakim. Jehoi, uh, Jehoiakim is one of them. Zedekiah. They all said, Egypt's got my back. We're curse you, Nebuchadnezzar. Leave us alone. And the Egyptians are like, ooh. And the Babylonians came and just destroyed and thrashed their city. The 
Edomites were laughing at him. <laughs> oh, look at what they did. And so the Babylonians came and beat up the Edomites. That's what Obadiah says, by the way, that gave that prediction. And the Babylonians came and they took over everything. And destroyed nations. Because Nebuchadnezzar was not satisfied. And he became the ruler of Babylon for 63 years. Always expounding. Always. Of course, we read more about the book of Daniel. He got so full of pride that he built up a statue and forced everyone to bow down and worship it whenever the music was played. And nobody could do anything about it. Of course, we know that three Hebrew children, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow the knee. And Nebuchadnezzar learned a lesson there. But he was still full of pride. And you could read more about Nebuchadnezzar's life. But here is a man who is not satisfied. I meant, he had a huge city and a kingdom. A six mile, uh, six mile square uh, palace. And he wanted more. That's something about lust and the lore that Satan will say more. And you get that greasy cheeseburger and you spend the money that you were supposed to have for rent. And then he puts red lobster in your way. And you know you can't afford red lobster. Oh, but I really want red lobster. And so you spend your rent money for red lobster. Oh, and then you need this thing at Walmart. Oh, look at this. They have this at Walmart. And then you go to Hobby Lobby and then there goes the rest of the money. Now you don't have any money to pay rent. What happened? Satan dangles it in front of you. And you chase after it. And you're willing to hurt anyone and everyone, including yourself, to get it. This is that idea of that lore that he has. Because Satan, the devil lured them. They kept trying to find satisfaction in things. But they never satisfied. We must remember that nothing satisfies apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people chase the lures of the devil all of their lives. Taking that which is not theirs until they finally die. Still wanting more. Why? Because they do not live faith in the true and living God. Which brings us to the last thing here, the loss. We start off with the lust, then we have the lore, then we have the loss. All of this is going to lead to loss. Notice in verse 6, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 6. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and taunting a proverb against him, saying, Woe unto him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to them which is laden himself with thick clay. Notice that. It said, How long? How long will this go? Verse number 7. Shall they not rise up suddenly that bite thee, and awake thee that vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, and of the city, and all that dwell therein. How long? Well, God says, guess what? All the nations are going to rise up and they're going to destroy you. They're going to take care of them. We know that in history this was fulfilled. Remember, Jeremiah said, 70 years are going to be in captivity. Oh man, you could put that with a stopwatch. Even Daniel, who was still alive, he's 90 years old. He checks his calendar and said, oh, the 70 years is up. And he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, an angel pops in and says, Daniel, guess what? Just because of your prayers over here, I have to go bust a fat lip to this guy over here and help this other nation get in charge. That's a paraphrased version there. But, but Daniel was able to time it. 70 years. We know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. 
<coughs> it was destroyed. We know that they started to uh, plunder uh, uh, um, Jerusalem like Daniel was taken in 605 BC. They were taking them. But finally in six or 536 BC, Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire's unified people and all these other people, the nations that, that Babylon had walked over, they rose up and they conquered Babylon. By the way, just as a fun gee whiz, Babylon's city, the, the walls were made to keep out invaders. They could last for years with people uh, surrounding them and trying to siege them. So there was no way someone's going to do this. So what Cyrus the Great did is that he went above the Euphrates River and he blocked off the river and dried up the riverbed. Then what he did is he came to the two leaf gates. By the way, this was predicted in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 41 in 700 BC. This is 536 BC, about 150 years later. This is happening that the two guards, they saw the riverbed dry and Nebuchadnezzar's been dead for a while. His grandson's now king. And they looked at each other and said, ah, forget this. They opened up the gates and walked. Meanwhile, um, Daniel's up there dealing with uh, uh, Bethshazzar who saw the writing on the wall and his knees were shaking and he wet his pants and he looked and said, what's happening? And Daniel said, guess what? Tonight you're dying. Tonight your kingdom's overthrown. At that same time, Cyrus the Great is walking underneath the city with his army. And they take Babylon without a shot. And then they destroy the city so much that there's nothing that remains of Babylon yet today. Most of the city is underwater and there's no ruins left. Just like God said, and he predicted in several different passages in the Bible. God said, this is where you're leading to. All the stuff you were building to, this empire only lasted 70 years. And then it was wiped off the map. All the stuff, the labor, the fight that Babylon had, that Nebuchadnezzar pushed for, gone. Gone. Nothing remains. Artifacts. That's it. They suffered loss. All that fighting, all that work, all that conniving, all the bloodshed, nothing suffers loss. We have an enemy that's lying to us and lowering us with things that will never satisfy. And someday we'll seek to obtain through lust things that will lost. Think about this. We're talking about that greasy cheeseburger or red lobster. Well, is that going to pay your rent? Is that going to pay the things? The things that you say, you know what? I know i got to pay bills, but I really want this. When it comes time and you don't have the money to pay the bills, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? But the whole thing here is not talking about, and we're not putting the emphasis, we're seeing the illustration, but the emphasis isn't talking about lust. But instead we want to see the one that does satisfy. Notice with me in the book of Romans chapter number 8. And uh, that's where we're going to park at. Romans chapter 8. We either live our life by force or we live our life by faith. You live your life either trusting in God, depending on God, or you live your life trying to fight and connive and twist and convince and struggle. That's not the life that God wants. What he does want for us is be able to trust him 
that he is the one that satisfied and he's the one that provides. Notice with me the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, notice with me in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all So if God was willing to give his son to die on the cross for us, what makes us think that God will not give us $4.33 when we need it? God, if he's willing to give his own son, he's also willing to give us the things that we need. We don't have to fight or connive or twist or force our way. We could depend on God and if he wants us to have it, he'll give it to us. And if he chooses not to give it to us, it was probably better off for us not to have it. You see, the idea of the Ten Commandments, each of the Ten Commandments, not only is it a guide for living, but it tells us something about God. When we come to the idea, thou shall not steal. Do you know why that's a commandment? Because it tells us about God that we can trust God to give us what we need. We don't have to steal because we can trust in God. We don't have to force things in life. We can trust God. Do you know that David didn't lift a single finger to become king? God gave it to him and he provided for him. Now, he went the long way around. But God's the one who gave it to him. He was able to trust God. God is trustworthy. He can provide what we need. He can provide wisdom. He can provide grace. He can work on people better than we can. Well, I just want him to listen. Well, that's great. Trust God. Because if we could struggle and we fight, it's just going to make things worse. We all had that person, right? We can trust God. Living the faith life is the best life. This is why God had prefaced this before he started talking about the Babylonians. That he said, the soul that is upright is not uh, right with God. But the just shall live by his faith. Can you trust God? That's where it comes up to. We have the opposite. Instead of us having to force our way through life, fighting our way from life, scheming, conniving, backstabbing, hurting people, we can trust God. And he can provide things that we need and he could be our satisfaction because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And God is a great God. We can trust him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.